Okay, the podcast set up downtown. We got motion. What's the idea? People, the conversations open. The Andrews group, the firm. Yeah, we here now. Let's talk about great ideas. Have a sit down. Welcome to the podcast. The idea people. Hello and welcome to the Idea People at Lee Andrews Group. Lee Andrews Group is an award-winning communications firm located in the vibrant heart of downtown Los Angeles. Each and every episode, we hope to feature industry newsmakers, trends, and an assortment of ideas that might get you thinking. Hello, everybody. I'm Rick Garcia. And our guest today, by the way, I'm very excited to have you in here, uh, Brian, is, is because we've been trying to get you for a while. You're a busy guy. But Brian Peterson has been engaging with and painting portraits of people experiencing homelessness for the past eight years. His paintings and murals grace the walls of collectors' homes, homeless shelters, and affordable housing complexes across Southern California. And for his work in painting and helping his homeless neighbors, Brian has been featured in television programs such as Amazing Humans and in an award-winning documentary. Welcome to the Idea People at Leander's Group. Thank you for having me, Rick. It's a pleasure being here again. So again, so we should point out, in fact, we, we should tell people who might be listening to the podcast that they can also go on to leandrewsgroup.com. And on our homepage, you're going to see Brian's work firsthand. And uh, it's incredible. We get to walk into this lobby every day and see what he's done for us. Uh, we feel extra lucky and spoiled. Um, but your journey painting people, uh, it begin, well, it, it involves homeless people. How did, where did that journey begin? Yeah, so my journey uh, began back in 2015. I was in a season of my life where I was really trying to figure out what the word love means, what it means to love people. And I picked up this book by an author named Bob Goff called Love Does. And it's about what it means to make love in action. And so I'm reading about loving my family, loving my friends, loving my neighbors. And at the time I'm reading this book on my couch in downtown Santa Ana, I hear my neighbor screaming, a man experiencing homelessness. He was in some kind of despair, some kind of trouble. And so at that moment, I'm like, wow, I'm called to love my neighbor, and there's my neighbor screaming. And so I made a commitment in my heart. My heart was like wrecked in that moment. And I said, I'm going to get to know this guy. And the next day I went out to find him and sat down on the sidewalk and had a conversation with the first man ever that I have spoke to experiencing homelessness. And it was in that conversation, his name was Matthew, it was like I saw beauty on his face. He was telling me his story, his trials, his troubles. But somehow through it all, I was like, man, like, I can see victory in this guy. I want, I, want, I want people to hear his story. And so I asked him, I said, hey, Matthew, would it be okay if I painted your portrait? Matthew said yes, and the rest is history. That was the start of it. So where you saw hope, other people see, you know, helplessness or, you know, uh, people that just don't have a chance, right? Yeah, and that's um that's an interesting part of the painting series is a lot of people will say that. They'll say, you've helped me see homelessness different. Your paintings are so vibrant. They're so full of life. They're so full of color. And that's our goal. We aim to uh, hold up a mirror and say to that person living on the streets, have you considered this? Have you considered looking at yourself in this way? And in turn, other people see the same thing. And my next question is a two-parter. And uh I guess we'd like to know how many people have you painted experiencing homelessness, but also I'm told that after you you paint the portrait, you would sell the painting and then you give that money to the person who's your subject. Yeah. So that two-part question, the first part is I have personally painted probably about 65 to 70 portraits. Um, my organization now, we host a bunch of other artists and they've also painted. So we're probably well over the 200 mark, I'm assuming. And um, yeah, so the idea is that we sell that portrait, 
we use the money to help them out. And what that looks like is we say, example, hey, Matthew, your painting just sold. We have $1,500 for you in what we would call a love account. And um, how can we help you use that money? And we asked them now, most recently, to sort of create a plan. Show us how you'd like to use every dollar. And that does something interesting to someone who's in survival mode. They have to think past today and think into the future, which normally they're typically not doing. They're thinking, how do I get my next meal, right, today? And so we, we take them on this journey of, hey, what do you want to do a week from now? What do you want to do a month from now, right? And that's new thinking for them. It's a great idea. The folks that are buying the, the portraits, do they know that, that the subject is homeless? Is that explained up front, or do they, do they look at it and say, oh, my gosh, what a beautiful painting before they learn what they're looking at? Yeah, it's interesting. We've, we've sold probably like 90% of the work um, from word of mouth. So that means somebody is, is seeing it and talking about it. So everyone that has purchased a painting comes in knowing that it's a neighbor in some city somewhere around the, around the world now. And um, it's interesting because most of the reasons why they buy these paintings is they connect with the story. And so although the paintings are beautiful to them as well, they say, his story connects with me. Her story connects with me. I also deal with anxiety and depression. And that could have been me, right? And so it's the stories that connect us in humanity. And it's really cool to see art be that bridge. We're talking to Brian Peterson. Uh, he's an artist, a uh, very talented one. Um, you're listening to the Idea People at Lee Andrews Group. And we want to have you take a look at uh, leeandrewsgroup.com to see on our homepage Brian's work, and we're gonna we're gonna also give you information on how you can see uh, so much more of, of Brian's work in a moment. But we want you to listen to this interview first and foremost before you start going and taking a look at uh, his catalog. Um, tell us about the the genesis of Faces of Santa Ana. It's now known as Faces of Humanity. Yeah, so Faces of Santa Ana. It all started with that story of Matthew, the one screaming man outside of my apartment in a season in my life where it was time to really figure out what it looks like to love people. It was actually a faith journey for me. And, um, and I was pondering deep in my heart, what is love? And so out of that first portrait came the second portrait, third portrait, fourth portrait, which eventually birthed Faces of Santa Ana. And everyone in my city, in downtown Santa Ana, this project became known to most people. Business owners started to buy the paintings. Um, just residents in the city were thanking me, saying, thank you for sharing the stories of the people I see across from my apartment every day that I knew nothing about. And so along the way, actually during COVID, I had a dream on my heart to really uh, ponder this idea of what if I can offer this to other artists? What if there are other artists just like me wondering, how can I use my gifts in my community? How can I use this gift that's been given to me as an expression of love? And so the first one after Faces of Santa Ana was my friend Scott in Detroit, and he started Faces of Detroit. Then it moved to Faces of Riverside, Faces of Anaheim, Faces of Jackson, Tennessee, most recently Faces of the UK. And our organization is now called Faces of Mankind. And the idea is that we hope to activate artists around the globe to use their gifting. I find that fascinating because you, you always hear, hear the expression struggling artist, right? And it sounds like you've helped make a few of them rich just by virtue of, of how this must make them feel. Yeah, it's like um, not necessarily monetarily, not monetary wealth, but like wealth in your soul, right? And I don't know, uh, I don't know if there's creative li creatives listening right now, but a creative person is very interesting in the sense that when they're not using their creative outlet, you're like dying inside. I know what that's like. I know that feeling of like, I need to create, I need an outlet. And so we hope to just give people an outlet and in turn share amazing stories and communities around the world. And um, 
and and activate artists into their destiny and their purpose. What's better than that? You, you talk about that sort of that dying on the vine idea. Do you do you like writers? Do you get painters block? Yeah, paint, I think painters block is a real thing. I had it for ten years. Seriously, yeah. before painting Matthew. At the time, I was working as an automotive designer. I was working for Kia Motors out here in Orange County, and I hadn't paint, I hadn't picked up a paintbrush in ten years since college. And um, I don't know if it was painter's block or just like my career took a different turn and I wasn't focused on that that childlike five-year-old painting desire that I used to have, but painting was dead in my life. And I had all I had these dreams of doing paintings for my living room and my family and friends, but I never acted on any of them. And so it was that first encounter with this man experiencing homelessness that, for lack of a better term, like pulled me out of that block. And it, and it set me on fire to... to, to to make a decision to never put down a paintbrush again. Like, that's part of who I am. You, you have this incredible smile. You're, very, you're a very charming person. Uh, with, with, you just look so damn happy. And <laughs> your brother sitting here, Sean, is, is sitting here watching. Is he always this damn happy? He just looks like... Most of the time. Really? <laughs> is, what do you attribute that to? Why, why can't all of us be as happy as you look like you are? <laughs> it's funny. Um, we, we, we're out here on a, on a trip to, to do a project, and... We've actually been talking a lot with the guy who we're staying with about this idea of joy. And um, I know a lot of people go about life searching for happiness, fulfillment, purpose, all these things. But I think along the way, if you find any of that and you're missing joy, um, I think you're missing a, a really important part of the human experience. And so I think joy is something that can exist in the midst of adversity, in the midst of trials. you got to imagine I've painted 70 portraits or so. So I've been in relationship with... Um, uh, a lot of different people. Some people are easy to be in a relationship with. Some people are a little bit more difficult. And along the way, you you face a lot of trials. You face a lot of, a lot of adversity. And as you face these things, how do you find ways to find joy in the process? How do you remain a person of peace? How do you remain a person of joy? How do you not lose your smile when it looks like things are crumbling around you? Because everything's a season. It all will pass eventually. But um, I think it's important that in the journey, you don't lose sight of joy. It's interesting you say that. We hear of, uh, of artists, and when I say artists, I don't mean just painters, but, but uh, entertainers, uh, comedians, that there's this dark side to some of them. And a lot of the stuff that we see in their work can be dark. Um, again, I go back to the place of are you always happy? Do you just avoid those dark moments? Or does sometimes do the dark moments come out in your work? Mm. It's funny. Um, I never thought about it much till you asked me this question. But, uh -oh. um, I had a painting teacher in, in college. Her name is Lane Cooper. One of these people that I feel like I owe my life to. It's like She told me one day, you will be a painter. You won't be an automotive designer forever. Like She, she, she called out my future in college. But one of the things that um, she taught us and I don't know if it was just her personal philosophy, but she taught us in painting class to never use black. So she we would bring our paints to class and she would take the black tubes and be like, if you want to use black, mix your own black, right? And so she's like, never use the black out of the tube. And so she would always say things like, if, if you mix it with yellow, it'll become muddy. And so it was like a painting philosophy of hers, but I think it became a life philosophy for me where, like, where I try to do things with light. And so I've, I've often spoke to people, including the people I paint, and I, say, and I say to them, my goal is to paint you with light. I'm going to paint you in the most vibrant possible way. Do, do I experience dark moments in my life like everybody else? Absolutely. I think, I think there's no human on planet Earth that's adverse from that or exempt from that. 
But I think it's how we navigate those dark moments that is important. Um, Number one being, and I see this in a lot of creatives, is a lot of people will put on the identity of the dark moments, and they'll call it one of the the expressions that really bothers me is they'll say, my anxiety, or my anxiety is getting the best of me. My depression is getting the best of me. And I'll always tell them, don't say my, it's not yours. Like, you don't have to own that, right? And so... So it's, it's a lot of this idea of, um, especially as a creative, is um, understanding your thoughts, that just because a thought is in your head, it doesn't have to be yours. You don't have to own that. And then moving on from there, right? Like training yourself to, be a, to fight the battle of the mind, I think, is really important, especially in today's society. Well, you can just say that again. If, if, if more than ever, the idea of joy and happiness and, and loving one another, it, it, the words couldn't be stronger and more needed than now. So yeah. mm-hmm. um, thank you for that inspiration. Let's talk about some of the work specifically. How many murals do you have in Southern California? And can you tell us where some of the main pieces are? Oh, man. I should always prepare to like for these questions, so they always end up being a guest. <laughs> we didn't warn you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't usually go to the website and count. Um, but um, I counted a couple um, couple months ago, and I think I was up to like 20-something in Orange, in Orange County, sort of L.A. Okay. area. Yeah. And they range from everything to one of the most um, uh, sort of reputable murals is a mural on Hollywood and Highland, not too far away from here where we are. And it's of Kobe Bryant receiving his Oscar. And the mural is actually painted on the Dolby Theater, which is where he received the Oscar. And so you, we have projects like that and then ranging all the way down to, like, the largest homeless shelter in Santa Ana, housing some of our most chronically um, homeless population. And we redid their whole sort of lunch community area. So it's interesting because the work will span from like literally Hollywood to homelessness. And like what a story that is even to be in L.A. to be able to say that, that, that I can work on both spectrums and, and bring light to both arenas, right? What do you think it does for the, for the folks in the, that look at your murals in the homeless community? Well, I, it's funny because um, I guess contrary to popular belief, a lot of them have cell phones, and so I get their reactions. Right? <laughs> I'll post stuff on Instagram or Facebook, and they'll they'll thank me. They'll be like, "Hey, you know, we've we've been in this shelter for X amount of months, and we walked into the lunchroom, and I can't tell you how like happy I am to just see color, right?" And don't get me wrong, some of these shelters are beautiful. They're really beautiful uh, buildings. Unfortunately, they're often overcrowded because we need the help, right? And so, for me as an artist, if I can come in and and provide somewhat of an atmosphere environment shift to just maybe make them feel like they're they're back in a place of love and joy, then um, then why not? And we always, even with our briefs with these shelters, we always ask ourselves, what do the people need here? Like what is it an uplifting statement? Is it is it images and representations that look and feel like them where they can look up and see like I'm way more than I think I am? And so we're often we're often um, um, brainstorming ways to actually increase the um, the attitude and the morale in these places. You know, we forget, and and it remind you reminded me of uh, I was in the news business for a long time as a news anchor, and I would be walking down the street to to go have dinner someplace, and somebody who was homeless would come up to me and recognize me from the news, and I would think to myself, how how on earth do they know I'm on the news? They don't have a TV. They're living on the street. You could see the the you know the shopping cart with with their life's uh, possessions, and then. We have to remind ourselves they weren't always homeless, and hopefully they won't be homeless again. And hopefully it's just a temporary situation that um, people like yourself, who's an activist, uh, can help figure out ways to inspire and motivate people to get back on, on their feet. Um, you talked about the Kobe Bryant um, 
piece. I want to talk about that in a minute. Uh, but let's go back in time a little bit. You, you talked about being a kid. Uh, did you know early on that you wanted to do art? Was it as simple as doing finger painting or watercolors? Or, I mean, was, was it something that took a little time to develop? Yeah, so um, I get to speak at a lot of schools. And I developed this presentation called Connecting the Dots that I share with children now or, or college age or high school students. And the reason I do that is because I can look back on my life as a 37-year-old now and I can see the dots being connected. And the first dot in my life was my fourth grade teacher named Miss Jones. And Miss Jones would be teaching. She'd often be teaching math and I'd be drawing. And so rather than reprimanding me for not paying attention to the math lesson, she saw something in me and she personally called my parents and she said, I don't know if you know this, but I think your son's an artist. And here are ways to help him and, and steward this gift that's inside of him. So she spoke to my mom and dad about the magnet schools, the programs in our area. So she personally saw something in me and invested in me as a fourth grade student. And that lady, Miss Jones, follows me on Facebook today. We talk all the time. She's always commenting on every post. And it's just so amazing to her to see that like she called out a destiny in a, a, a fourth grade student. And, and she's seeing the fruit of it, like, right in front of her every day. Yeah, that could have gone the other way, right? Easily. He could have been in the principal's office. He's not paying attention. Yeah. A hundred percent. Let that be a lesson to not just teachers, but business owners, parents, friends, that, like, we, we, we all, as people, we have certain gifting and skill sets. And I guess I wasn't supposed to be a mathematician. I was supposed to be an artist, right? And she saw that. We're talking to Brian Peterson on the Idea People at Leander's Group. Go to leandersgroup.com. Uh, you can do that while you're listening to this interview to just see the the mural that, that's on our homepage. That Brian painted that. We're going to uh, send you to his um, uh, website as well so that you can learn more about uh, some of his other works. Uh, how Since that, that day it was discovered that you really were a painter, how's your work evolved? Does it evolve? Absolutely. Um. As, as, a, as a fourth grade student, you, you start out drawing cartoons and your favorite characters and this kind of stuff, right? You eventually move on to still lifes, um, painting things from observation. You know, I'm going to put this flower on the table and try to replicate it to, to, to the best of my ability. The biggest evolution in my life came in college. And um, I was painting a figure. So a, a figure model came in. We were painting this lady. And I was about 80 or 90% done with the painting. I used to paint extremely realistic, trying to get every detail, every hair, every wrinkle. And my painting teacher came and painted over my whole painting. She mixed orange paint and covered everything in front of the whole class. It was the most embarrassing moment of my life. And she looked at me, and she knew she can do this because we had a very strong relationship. She looked at me, and she goes, okay, start over. So here we are on the last day. She said, start over. So I had to repaint this painting in like an hour and a half. And we'd been working on it for a couple sessions, so hours. And so what happened in that moment is I began to paint fast. I began to paint expressively. I began to look at a subject and turn it into something that was like, like my own. I wasn't trying to replicate this model exactly as I see her, but I was trying to paint an expression of her. And when you look at my work on Faces of Santa Ana, Faces of Mankind, that's very much that. It's not realistic, but it's like this expressive version of a person. And so she single-handedly like tore me out of this idea of like copy everything exactly as you see it and express yourself as an artist. She kept telling me, I want to see the hand of the artist in your work. And that changed everything. I assume that was a little humbling at that time, maybe? 
Yeah, only looking back now, I can appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Painful though at the time. In the yeah. moment that it happened, it was one of the worst things that's ever happened to me. But I give her all the credit in the world for being that bold. So let's talk about painting a mural. Um, and I've had the opportunity to, to see firsthand what goes into that. Uh, you have to build scaffolding, right? If it's a tall enough uh, space that you're... First of all, what's the tallest space you've painted? I painted a six-story parking garage in Orange County. Okay, six six stories. Yeah, that's pretty big. And you're yeah. at the very top, or did you send your brother up to do the top part of the, the building? <laughs> uh, contrary to popular belief, my brother's slightly afraid of heights. <laughs> <laughs> slightly. I can relate. Don't worry, I can relate. I'm with you on that yeah, one. Yeah, um, and so, so yeah, I was up there. That was a, that was a good one. Okay, any <laughs> close calls painting? Close calls, like? Slipping, falling, uh, well, that, the... That, the, the, the on, on this parking garage mural, funny story, um, I'm up there, six stories up, finishing some stuff at the top, and I look down, and it's not a scaffold, but it's a hydraulic boom lift. So those big machines with the arm that take you up. And I look down, and there's hydraulic fluid all over the floor. And the boom lift is leaking hydraulic fluid. Oh so I don't know if anybody knows this, but hydraulics are the way the boom lift lifts you up into the air. And so here I am looking down and seeing puddles and gallons of hydraulic fluid spewing all over the parking lot. And I start to come down because obviously I'm terrified at this moment. And as I'm coming down in the boom lift, more hydraulic fluids spraying everywhere. And so that was the closest call. I made it down safe. They brought me a new lift and all of that. But I never had any any kind of near-death experiences. Well, and people probably want to know when you're up there painting a mural. I mean, you can – if you don't like something – or you make a mistake on canvas, you just probably pull out another canvas, or I don't know, maybe there's a technique to paint over it. What do you do when it comes to the wall? Have you started something and then said, oh boy, that's going the wrong way? <laughs> oh, that's, that's a great question. And um, so as an artist, one of my philosophies is that like there are no mistakes. Everything's correctable. Like, is, is there a mistake in life that can't be redeemed? I don't think there is. I think I think everything can be redeemed, right? And so, so if you're if you're on the wall and you seemingly have a mistake, um, there there it is again. It's the mindset question: is what if you didn't view? Just don't view it as a mistake. View it as an opportunity to maybe make that spot better than it should have been the first time. And so everything can be painted over, covered up, redone. But even in my work of the of the portraits of the homeless, I feel like like. 40 to 50% of those paintings are made up of mistakes. I'll lay a brush stroke down and it seems like a mistake, and I'll leave it, see what it looks like. We're talking to Brian Peterson. He's an artist. Uh, by the way, your work, not just in Southern California, you're, and I think you're based in Miami now, in Florida. You have work all across the, sprinkled across the country, or is it just to, to, to kind of located in two coasts? It's beginning to be that way. Um, we now have some work in Phoenix. We have two murals in Phoenix. Um, I have a mural in North Carolina. I have another mural coming up in Charlotte. Um, so it's uh, we have a mural in the Bay Area coming soon. So um, it just seems like it's, it's going that way where I'm going to be on a lot of planes and yeah. taking a lot of trips. Yeah. I have another two-part question for you. So the, the process from beginning to end painting a mural, uh, are you one of those artists that wakes up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat with an idea and you have to get it on paper somewhere or – is this something you just do when you're awake? No, I'm, I'm that guy. I'm that guy that when I'm, when I'm working on something, I'm consumed by it. And, and um, sometimes I'll write it down. Sometimes I'll sketch it. Sometimes I'll text it to my wife. <laughs> um, I just have, you have to get it out of your head into earth somehow, right? You can't let it live in your subconscious because I think you can lose it that way. 
And so I try to get it down somewhere, a note on my phone, scribble on a napkin, or text to my brother or my wife. But I think that's a very important thing to do. I'm a strong believer that you're born an artist. I, I, I just think that because I don't have a creative bone in my body. Uh, I can barely write legibly, you can see here. Um, I, I play drums. That's not really an instrument. Uh, so I, am I wrong about that? Tell me if I'm wrong or right about that. Can you develop into an artist or, or do you just wake up being a piano player or somebody who can paint portraits and murals? Or I think, well, firstly, I think we'd have to consider if we are all born an artist, if, if that is a thing, if we could all be born artistic, if we grow up and we're not artistic, we'd have to consider at some point in the world, someone told you you're not good enough, someone looked at a drawing and said, this is not great, right? Um, actually, the most art that sells now in current society is abstract art that's non-representational, right? Often the paintings that someone would look at and say, sure. oh, I think I can do that, right? <laughs> yeah. And so this idea of am I an artist, I think, is an interesting question, but you spoke something that I, I always mention to students when I speak to them is um, people say I'm not creative. I don't have a creative bone in my body. And I think everyone has the ability to create. Everyone might not be artistic. You might not be able to draw that plant exactly as you see it. But I think everyone has the ability to make something from nothing, which is creative, whether that's a business idea, whether that's a, a apple pie. right? Um, creativity, I think, is part of the human experience. And the things that you do that you might not view as artistic, that's okay. Maybe you're not artistic, but you're creative. So you're saying we're all artists then? We're all creative. Okay. We might not all okay. be artistic. What's the difference between being creative and being an artist? Well, okay, so if someone has a creative idea to start a burger restaurant called In-N-Out that's never frozen, that that takes make, over the West Coast. You're making me hungry. Yeah. That, that is a creative idea that took a lot okay. of creativity to see that through. But that's not an artistic expression. Okay. Right? So I think that's what I mean by humans are all creative. What if you're making the double-double with grilled onions and cheese? Are you an artist? Or? Yeah. If it depends how you make it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But the extra onions, animal style, then yes, you are an artist. So we talked about uh, the process. You, you sometimes will wake up with an idea and you got to get it down on paper. Now you get out to your canvas, which could be the side of a homeless shelter or a, or a public building somewhere. Then what happens? Well, before, before that, we're going to back up a little bit. Um, when I'm doing murals specifically, I do everything in the computer first. So I design my murals digitally before they are physically on a building. Same way I did here at Lee Andrews. So I presented Stephanie with a digital mock-up of exactly what I wanted to paint on the wall. Stephanie said yes, and then I come here and transpose it on the wall. And so that's my first process. So when I come out to a site to paint, my goal is actually how can I do – the best I can to give my client exactly what they fell in love with. How can I replicate that thing that she sees on her phone, on her wall, maybe 10 times the size? So let me, so let me stop you there because um, on my list of questions, uh, our boss, Stephanie Graves, <laughs> the CEO of this company, <laughs> added to it. How on earth did you manage to take what was sitting up here in her head that she somehow got to her phone, yeah. got to you, into your hands and then the paintbrush and on to the wall. Yeah. So and 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 hit the mark. So this is important. This is a, an important question that I think uh, most artists should take note of. As you can probably see, I'm a people person. I love people, whether it's the portraits or or a CEO of a huge company, right? And so the first call with Stephanie, she she we, we're on a Zoom. She's telling me all these things that she thinks the mural could be, and I stopped her, and I said, Stephanie, tell me about you. 
and I listened to her story and her vision for her company and her passions about the city of L.A. for a good 30 minutes. And as she's speaking, I'm writing notes. I'm writing notes on the things she gets excited about. I see moments in her where she, where the excitement flares up when she's talking about a specific subject. And, and that's what I like to do as an artist. How can I take a little bit of my clients and help them see themselves in the final work? Not necessarily representationally, but the things she loves, the things she stands for, the things she's trying to probably instill in the branding here and in her employees. And that's, that's the most important part to me. And likewise, on the flip side, the person's story of, of homelessness, their, their hopes, their dreams, their desires, their wishes, their trials, that story is the very things that give me energy to paint their portrait. It's what helps me decide on color, mood, composition. And so how do we take those intangibles and give them back to someone and say, this is what I feel like you would like. And that's what I try to do. Well, it certainly worked here. We again, it, it brightens our day every day when we when we walk into the to the lobby and see it there. Uh, all right, let's get back to favorite subjects. Um, I have a feeling that it probably was, I don't know, fun is the right word to paint Kobe Bryant. Um, tell tell me how that came about and and what your thoughts are and uh, for as Kobe as a as a, a big hero in this community as your subject. That is a crazy story. So firstly, I was unhealthily obsessed with Kobe Bryant <laughs> as a kid. Um, I don't know what it was. He came into the league in 1996, and my brother was, is here as a witness. I was obsessed with this guy as a rookie, so much that I collected. I have 27 Kobe rookie cards. As a kid, I would give everything. I'd give him the shirt off my back to trade for a Kobe basketball card. And so, of course, when he passed, it was like it was crazy hard on me. It felt like a family member, right? And so how that came about on the Dolby Theater in Hollywood and Highland is I, I saw all the Kobe murals going up. I think there's like 600 of them worldwide. And I'm like, man, nobody's painted the most important moment to Kobe in terms of achievements, right, outside of his family. No one's painted him receiving his Oscar. And so I said to myself, I'm going to find a wall to paint this on. And so I went on Google Maps and started walking up Hollywood Boulevard digitally on my computer and taking down address notes of all the walls along Hollywood Boulevard. And I found a huge garage that I wanted to paint it on. And I'm calling the garage owner, the security teams that manage it, and nobody can get me in touch with whoever I would need to talk to. And some guy, some security guy <laughs> in this garage said, he got sick of me calling. And he's like, man, I don't know, just call this number. And he gave me a number to Hollywood and Highland by a mistake. And I called the director of marketing by a mistake and told her my vision for the wall. Her name was Lindsay. And Lindsay Herlick said, I don't want you to look for any more walls. We want this project. This belongs on the Dolby Theater. And that's how it ended up there. Me as a Kobe fanatic calling everyone up and down Hollywood Boulevard to try to find a way to paint his greatest achievement in his own eyes um, on the very place that he received the award. Which is interesting that his career culminated in an Oscar, this professional basketball player. I remembered interviewing him when he was a bright-eyed and bushy-tailed 17-year-old kid who Jerry Buss <laughs> had to have driven out to the forum because, or out to the arena just so that he could play in the games because he wasn't driving a car at that time to seeing him develop into this businessman and then an Oscar winner for, I think he won for the, a documentary, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Dear Oscar. Basketball, his, Dear short, Basketball. his short film his about short, his love yeah. for basketball. Um, do you get feedback from some of your murals, whether it be the Kobe Bryant one or other ones? 
I think the best feedback we got is um, Jimmy Kimmel shared it on his show. <laughs> he, he did a whole little 30-second segment about this mural that's gone up across from him and how it brightens it. He was really good friends with Kobe, I guess. But, um, yeah, that, I think I don't know if there's greater feedback. And then the second, actually this is probably the first feedback, is Vanessa Bryant actually came out to meet me on site. Yeah, we got word that she wanted to see this one. Um, and so I finished the mural at 10 p.m. on a Thursday, and at 10.08 p.m., Vanessa walks around the corner with her, with I think her, one of her agents and some security. And for the first time, we met each other there, and we've been working on things ever since. How many stories is that, by the way? It's, that's it, a, I think that's about 30 feet, so about two stories tall. And it's a, very, it's a triangular-shaped wall, so it's kind of an odd composition, but it works well. Do you use a photograph as a, as a point of reference, or is it all in your head? I used a photograph of Kobe receiving the Oscar. And then I digitally went in and drew over the photographs. My style for murals is very angular. I take like geometric shapes and try to make modern interpretations of photos. And so I used the original photo of him kissing his Oscar trophy. Kissing his Oscar, which uh, yeah. which one would do, right? If you won, if you won an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, the the one that we have in our lo- lobby, and again, I'll, I'll ask folks if they want to check it out. They can go to leandrewsgroup.com. Um, you you mentioned that you talked to. Uh, our um, our boss Stephanie Graves about uh, how to put that into play. Uh, for me, what stuck out, and I'm not, and I'm going to be upfront with you. In the interest of full disclosure, I have a little issue with colors. I'm colorblind on darker colors. My dad is almost completely colorblind, and, and sadly, I guess I'm told it runs in families. There's something about the and tell me if I'm going with the wrong color, correct me. The reds and the greens is that, and I could be wrong. Could be pink as opposed to red. What? Why does that grab me so much? I'm not. I'm, I don't always get attracted to to artwork, but that one specifically, when I walk in the door, is is uh, very pleasing to me. Yeah. So um, you're close. The colors are colors are pinks and pinks and teals. Okay. Yeah, pink, so pink and I teal. Think you're good. Come on, red and green, Sean. Right? <laughs> you're right, you're right Would you say red and green? I'm in the I'm in the spectrum somewhere you're, there. You're good. Yeah. Um, the color scheme actually came from Stephanie, in the sense that I think we had two Zoom calls. And on both Zoom calls, she was wearing pink. And I saw, I noticed in the office there was, like, a pink thing and another teal. So I asked her, I was like, are you one of those people that, like, you have, like, an obsession with, <laughs> with a color? And she's like, I love pink oh, and teal, right? And I didn't even like, know that. Yeah. She's like, wait till you see that. Well, you might not be able to see it. <laughs> well, we in our company colors, we, we I think, I assume it's the teal. Yep. Right? And uh, I, I just haven't noticed the pink as much. I'm going to pay attention now yeah, to that. But, yeah. And so you decided that those were the colors you thought were reflective of her personality and what we what we should see here. Yeah, and she and also she wanted the wall to be vibrant. She wanted people to come in and just be like, wow, you know. And so I think we I think we achieved that with the color scheme. And then in addition to that, I remember in her story, she took me all the way back to like high school, and she was telling me clubs that she advocated for and things that she started in in, in high school to see people like become equal. And and she said a couple times in her in her talk about herself how important it is to stand for something, whatever it is, just like stand for something, right? Like, and so that whole mural is about standing. And the for figures stuff. in there, we've got Martin Luther King. Yep. We have, uh, who are some of the other figures in there? We've got uh, Greta Thunberg. Uh, Greta Thun- Thun- Thunberg. And, yeah. and, and Malala. Malala. Yeah. And so, so uh, activists, all of them. Yeah. yeah. And so she's inherently in, in her, in her discussion of herself, she's like, you know, we have one life here. Right, we got to figure out how to live it. She's like, "Why not live it standing for something? Like, just trying to advocate for change, right?" 
um, in whatever arena it is. doesn't matter. Just stand for something. Like, don't be a bump on a log sort of thing, right? And so I thought that was really interesting. So that's what the mural reflects that idea. Well, Brian, you know what? We're, we're so inspired by you and your work. We really appreciate that. I wish, I wish more people could, uh, you know, if there was a way to see you next to your artwork, maybe that's Maybe that's when you go to AI. Maybe that'll be where <laughs> we got a, a picture of Brian smiling all the time because your your smile is so infectious. For more information about the idea of people at Lee Andrews Group, you can go to leeandrewsgroup.com. But for more information on uh, Brian, and if you'd like to see some more of his amazing work, go to brianpetersonart.com, right? Correct. And, um, well, good luck on this latest project in Orange County. And then where do you go after that? Um, home to Miami and then back to Orange County a week later. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So going home to see my family and then we turn around and do come back for another six story mural. Well, we <laughs> listen, we really appreciate you joining us on the idea of people at Lee Andrews group. Hey, pleasure having me. And, um, thank you for this conversation. Okay. The podcast set up downtown. We got motion. What's the idea of people? The conversations open. Lee Andrews group, the firm. Yeah, we here now. Let's talk about great ideas. Have a sit We on a mission. You get the idea, people. Glad you pulled up. How you doing? Nice to meet you.